Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. I'm John McCaskill, and my guest today is Rob Dubois. Rob is a retired U.S. Navy SEAL, a career intelligence and national security professional, and he's the founder of Impact Actual, the elite whole-person personal development firm. Through keynote presentations, executive coaching, seminars, and retreats, and online training, Rob and the Impact team execute on their mission to train people to destroy self-limiting beliefs and behaviors so they can perform at maximum potential. Rob is also the author of Powerful Peace, a Navy SEAL's lessons on peace from a lifetime of war, which has received enthusiastic praise from leadership icons including Tony Robbins and former SecDef James Mattis. We're going to learn a lot more about Rob, his work in the Navy and the intelligence and security world, his firm Impact Actual, and his book. And that's all here in today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. But before we jump into the conversation with Rob, I'll go ahead and stop here for a quick plug for our sponsors. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is retired Navy SEAL and intelligence and security professional and author, Rob Dubois. Welcome to the show, Rob. Hey, thanks a lot, John. Yeah, what have you been up to, man? About everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're a busy guy. Yeah. I am busy and and blessed to be so. Yeah, that's, that's I, I, good. when I was uh, you know we both we both know what team life is about obviously yep. and your listeners understand what team means when when you're the host. So I, I read a many years ago I read uh, from Ben Franklin he said if you would not be forgotten as soon as you are dead or rotten, <laughs> then either do things worth writing or write things worth reading. And so my philosophy has been do both. You nice. Know, do things worth writing and also write things worth reading. Perfect. I love that, man. I've actually never heard that. So thanks for sharing that. I love it. Yeah. So before we get into any real questions, what I'm doing is I'm starting every show by letting our listeners know what we do with the nonprofit Veterans Path and why we're doing this show, the podcast. So Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from, peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of and attendance at our retreats while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. Listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. All right, that all said, we'll go ahead and get into our questions. In the intro, which you heard, I covered a little bit about your professional career, which we'll get into a little bit more here in a bit. But for our listeners, what else can you tell us about Rob Dubois that's not in your bio? Right on. So when you when you were talking in the intro, you know, like we talked about in preparation for this conversation, you know, we discussed our commonality on mindfulness mindset, on on meditation, 
And, um, and I wanted to speak to those things because that's really a big part of my life. And really, I, as I mentioned earlier, we can develop empathy, which is your whole point. We can develop empathy. We can get more uh, aware of the needs of others. And, and, and I, I believe that if we are aware of the needs of others, then we are more happier. We're more able to, to, to give, which is our primary focus in life. Tony Robbins says the secret to living is giving. Uh, I sincerely believe that. Uh, if you ain't given, I. life is poor. Yeah. Tony actually is a fan of mine. Tony yeah. follows me on Twitter. So that was, uh, I was going to ask about that. So going back to your Yeah, that's right. We got book. a photo of that. <laughs> yeah. So Tony Robbins and you mentioned uh, James Mattis being fans of the book. How How is it being received yes. by, you know, obviously you mentioned that they received it well. How has it been received by those in the military and then specifically those in the teams? Well, it's uh, it's there's never been a bad review of my book. Nice. I think the only people, only thing that people wouldn't like about it is if they don't want to be open to the idea that, you know, again, the secret to living is giving, that we have this responsibility to others. We are, we're made more rich by giving more away, paradoxically. By giving of ourselves, we bless the world, and by blessing the world, we become happier and healthier and, and even wealthier. I mentioned earlier a, a situation in which I did a big risk management uh, testimonial for right. a big lawsuit and earned a lot of money. And that goes back to the don't be a dick thing. I didn't set out to make a lot of money. I didn't call anybody and say, hey, will you give me a lot of money? But <laughs> a lot of people do. A lot of people live their life looking for a lot of money. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, this came to me because I'm not a dick. Now, I have been on many occasions in, you know, isolated cases, but not in a general way. I'm not that guy that, you know, what's good morning. What's good about it? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> you know, um, even using for negative terms to describe positive things like, how do you like the soup? It's not bad. Oh, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Let's backpedal there, dude. Let's rewind that. Do you like it? Yes. So why don't you say you like it? I did. It's not bad. No, no, no. Think about that. It's not bad means it. there's bad, and there's this thing that's not bad, which doesn't mean good. Yeah, you know, yeah, I try to help people see what they're saying. Not bad is not even – it's not. It's nowhere near good. Not bad is um, – I've got to move a cat again. Not <laughs> bad is like <clears throat> just a, just tolerable, you know. That's what people we, – we live in this reduced mindset. We re live in this reduced space of, of not – being overly enthusiastic, and I'm not again. I'm not Pollyanna. I'm not about hey, let's go people please. Let's go be people pleasy. Not at all. I've done it. I'm a recovering alcoholic with almost 30 years of not killing myself with booze. Nice and and drugs. And I understand that my life is so much better if I, you know, I stay clean and and focus on again the self on the self, healing the self, growing the self, being a better person. But being a better person automatically brings a lot better for a lot more. A lot of others. So the the book is something that people have praised up and down. Uh, in fact, I've got a quote from Jim Mattis. He emailed me about it. Nice. This was after he was CENTCOM and before he was uh, before he was a yeah commander of Central Command. I don't want to uh, talk over people who don't live in that same world we right. do. But he owned he 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 owned and guided and led all the forces in the Middle East, and then he retired from the, from the Marine Corps. And he thought he was going to go walk in the back 40. And he literally, <laughs> he, he mentioned that to me in an email. <clears throat> he said, your book is more humane and compelling than any I've read in a long time. Wow. And I'm going to keep it in my ruck while I walk the back country. 
That's and, awesome. Uh, we, we corresponded. Yeah, so it's in. It's in. It's not in. It wasn't in the book for promotion, but it's in our materials since then. Sure. Because I asked him, "Hey, could you mind if we share your experience on that? You share your your observation?" He said, "No, please do. I want to. I want to help you promote this thing moving forward." Then a little later, he picked up uh, Sectev. <clears throat> but but he is a warrior among warriors. This is the guy that we, you know, he he famously said, um, "I come to you with tears in my eyes. I you know, I come with come to you with peace in my heart." But I beg you with peace and, uh, with tears in my eyes, don't F with me or I will kill you. <laughs> and that was, you know, this, this very experienced, very dangerous Marine commander, commander of Marines who, who is saying we focus on peace. We focus on stability, security. We focus on making the environment healthy and happy for our little kids and old ladies, you know, life for people. But we have this combat power which we will unleash like the devil dogs of war. Um, and that's where I come from myself. It's, it's a balance. My earlier work was all about smart power, hard power and soft power. Joe Nye uh, from Harvard uh, talked about how we can, you know, basically get more, more uh, flies with honey than with vinegar. Right. Yep. Uh, and it's true. We, we work better with international relations. We work better in interpersonal relations if we just focus on being willing to use hard power if we need to, to compel somebody to do something. But more importantly, to focus on how can we work well with with others without being a dick, without forcing things. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> the <clears throat> sorry the um, the powerful piece was received by Mattis and through his eyes, his lens, and it just talks about a lot. my experiences. It's it's forty eight chapters, each of what, each of which has a subtitle that is a, based on a, a human experience, like um, like um, uh, pride or humility. <clears throat> um, understanding others, empathy. And I use my own experiences. I talk about others' experiences that I've, uh, that I've worked with. Um, I know a guy, uh, big, big Marine, speaking of Marines, a recon, force recon guy. And Sean, um, actually a bodybuilder. So, you know, you just know this guy's dangerous when you see him walking down the street. He's not just bodybuilder, but he's a force recon Marine, like a SEAL for the Marines. Um, and he talked about shooting a guy from a rooftop where he was overwatching the uh, his own Marines who were sleeping below on this in this building, I think it was Fallujah, uh, sort of like a little mini Beirut, a V-bit or a vehicle-borne IED or a car bomb was was roaring down the street at his building. He realized, you know what, this is a this is an attack. That's a car bomb. Yep. It's going to hit the bottom of the building I'm standing on top of. It's going to kill the 40 Marines I've got that are sleeping down there. So he put three rounds. He said he watched them like the Matrix. Watched the rounds go thup, thup, thup. Almost watching the vapor trail as it went through the windshield into the guy's chest, tap, 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 made three little puffs on his chest. And, of course, now he's dying. He just got shot three times in the chest. Yep. He probably had a dead man switch on the thing. <clears throat> uh, on a, a dead man switch, for those, again, for those who aren't aware, is like um, you might have a little string or something tied to the initiator for the, the explosion, the explosive device. And if your hand comes off the wheel or whatever ha whatever the trigger is set for it, the, the detonation occurs at that moment. So the detonation did occur thanks to the dead man, which he actually created by making a dead man. Um, and uh, <laughs> it blew up, I don't know, 40 meters away, 30 meters away, and not in the building Yeah, where it was going to kill so many so Marines. He saved, he saved a lot of yeah. lives that day. But he, he, it's not optional. You know, I love, I love pacifists. I love conscientious objectors. My own grandfather was one. He was uh, of the, the religious order called the Brethren, which is kind of like... Um, uh, kind of like uh, 
uh, Quakers, you know, folks that just meet in meeting rooms and talk and everybody leads the worship sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they are conscientious objectors. They will not go to war. Um, and on the other hand, again, I had my father who volunteered to go to Vietnam and went as a Chinese linguist and, in, 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 you know, sort of showing what I could do in my future. Uh, so there's another hybridization, you know, the pacifist grandfather and the, um, the, uh, the, the, the combat dad. But, <clears throat> but the, the point is, these are both right paths. It's right for each individual. It's right for us to not be a dick. It's right for us to choose, you know, dialogue over over uh, fighting and force whenever possible. But be ready to use the force at the second's notice. Um, so, powerful peace has been experienced by everybody in their own way. I had uh, a, a couple wrote to me. Or she wrote to me and said, "Thank you, Rob, for writing powerful peace. You saved our marriage." Nice. And uh, I had powerful. to ask what that was about. So, yeah, exactly. She said, I, "I read the stories. I." I I, I, I absorb the concepts about self-management, personal accountability. I'm responsible for everything. And I, um, and I applied it, and he's applying it, and you saved our marriage. Another boy wrote to me, a 19-year-old kid, said, you gave me back my dad. Wow. And I didn't know what he meant. I said, so can you please unpack this? He said, yeah, man, I read your book, and I realized it's about me. I'm, the, I'm in charge of my life. I'm in charge of my consequences. The results of my life are my rewards for my choices. So I, I went to my dad. They were estranged, apparently. So they were, you know, mm-hmm. I hate each other. Yeah. I hate you, disowned, whatever. <clears throat> but he said, I, I, I realized our problem was my choice. I had to go back and do something with it. So I, I approached him. Um, to, I owned it, you know, in, in, in my own recovery program for addiction, we talk about clean your own side of the street. It's all you can control. But through controlling yourself well, you end up sort of controlling others because, although there's no direct control over anybody else, and I'm, I'm vain to imagine I can, the reality is people respond to us how we are a part of their environment. So if I'm a dick, I'll get negative responses from Timmy, Tammy, or Tommy to me as that negative element in their environment. I don't want that. A lot of people don't get it. They're creating the negative responses. They won't get that phone call from that legal firm that really needs help with a risk manager. They'll call somebody else if I'm the best at competency, but I'm a dick. They're like, I don't trust the guy. I can't work with him. And so I call those invisible losses. I never know that I never got that call and right. dozens of thousands of dollars never came my way. I don't know that if I'm a dick. I just know that people are dicks in there because they're always treating me bad. But I'm creating every second of that. So he said, I talked to my dad. I approached him. I you know, made amends on my part, and I said, I, I don't want this to be like this. And then he and his dad reconciled, and then his dad was diagnosed with a terminal disease. Oh, geez. I can't make this shit up. He was going to kick the bucket, and it was going to be a quick turn, and they were cool with it. They were sad they had less time together. But they had done what was necessary, the human experience. They'd done the reconciliation. Death is part of life. Death happens to everybody. Uh, it's going to happen to each one of us, <clears throat> except Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks apparently <laughs> said, uh, Mel Brooks said, if Shaw and Einstein couldn't be death, what chance have I got? Practically none. So I like his optimism. <laughs> Practically none. So, so powerful peace was experienced by the warfighter of warfighters, Jim Mattis, by the, the, by the couple, the wife and the husband, and by this young man and his dad before he died. Um, and 
back to your specific question about the, the military and the teams, a teammate of mine, a friend of mine, and he dealt with nightmares. He dealt with everything we talk about. The, the public knows only a tiny sliver of what PTS is all about, post-traumatic stress from combat. And again, PTS, uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not a combat thing. PTS is a human thing. It gets so confused in the public sphere because our media is so superficial. It's two-dimensional. They talk about PTSD and, oh, poor PTSD veterans. Well, you know, rape victims have PTSD. I have PTSD from the stuff I can't remember as a kid. Um, and, and we also happen to have PTS, post-traumatic stress, from some combat experiences in some people's lives. And he dealt with that. And he took the cocktail that the VA throws at you or the medical system throws at you. Here's Take these 75 pills every day and you'll be right as rain. But you don't. You become a zombie. And that's another thing that's in the dialogue these days is that, you know, we need to deal with our veterans and our, our post-trauma uh, you know, people that are dealing with that specifically much better. But he said, your book made sense. Your book is a therapeutic aid. Your book gave me context for combat. Wow. And that's what I've been offering it to other people for. And they read it and like, okay, now I get it. They're not just ragheads. See, the thing is, the human being, the, the big old tough, burly, tattooed biceps guy in the military, the U.S. military, if he thinks that Arabs are ragheads, he is cutting off his source of understanding. He's a human. That other person's a human. Would right. I kill a human? Absolutely. If it's right, like I said earlier, violence is an extension of what's right if we have to use it. If the guy's going to pop a button on it, you know, if he's driving a truck towards Sean's building, you got to shoot him in the chest or the face. you got to stop that guy. If Bin Laden's going to kill a few thousand or a few dozen a thousand more people, you got to stop him, whatever it takes to kill the person or stop the person. <clears throat> so I'm all, I practice violence. I'm a, we talked about the dojo. We talked about martial arts. I practice violence, and I talk about it in the front of powerful peace. I say, I'm not afraid of violence. I'm not averse to violence. I love violence. I love the capacity for violence, but not using violence against innocent human beings. Mm -hmm. Somebody's yeah. got to be ready. Orwell said that, you know, we sleep safe in our beds at night only because, because rough men are stand ready in the night to do violence on our behalf. And that's what we do. You and I train to do violence on the behalf of the peaceful people. Right. We are peaceful people with special skills. Because somebody's got to stop the bad guy or a lot of nice people hurt, a lot of children hurt, a lot of women hurt. So we pre prepare ourselves and then we reserve that power so that we're not creating more problems. <clears throat> so powerful peace is something literally for everybody. It's a human experience, not about there I was killing bin Laden, not about my combat, this combat, that. It's about as a combatant, <laughs> I went to 36 countries and experienced a lot of people and talked about a lot of it. Like I mentioned, some of the stories were from other essays I had written, and that includes things like a column I wrote for a couple of years from Afghanistan and Iraq called For Goodness Sake. It was for a local magazine back in Virginia, and it was unpacking the idea that there are some really cool people over here. Nice. Really, really cool people. You know, talking about the men, the women, the children, the old folks saying, this is my experience as a guy on the ground who's ready to shoot a bad guy in the face. Mm -hmm. Don't, no, never mistake my, the people say, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Yeah. I don't say that for at all because that's another psychological thing. People like, they're straight, they're fearful about being nice, but we shouldn't. You don't have to be fearful about being nice. Be nice. Be kind. Be kind until it exhausts you. Be kind because that's how people respond. Again, you're making your own environment better and you're making, you're not 
you know, building up bad karma or just, you know, that consciousness isn't nagging at you in the back of your mind because you're a dick to people. We should be good to others always. Absolutely. And sometimes you have to be very forceful with others, including parenting, you know, you, you, whether it's a spanking thing or take the iPhone, whatever it is, <laughs> there's, there's hard power in every part of life. And by, by respecting each other and being completely honest about who we are, we, uh, we make the whole system work better. I'm a, only a piece of the system, and I want the system to work better because my children are growing up and getting ready to have their own children. I've already got one grandbaby. These are humans. That, this is, as long as this species exists, the better we are to each other and the better we are to ourselves, self-love, self-respect, self-esteem. You know, as long as we acknowledge who we are and what's good about us individually and call ourselves on our bad stuff then we will make a massive difference in the world. And that's what impact is all about. Nice. You talk about taking care of yourself. And, and before the show started, we talked about your personal meditation practice. Um, can you talk to that a little bit and the benefits that you've seen from practicing? Yes. As a matter of fact, that's something I really did want to unpack here. You did talk in the front of the show about, about mindfulness and that's a huge thing for me. And mindset. In impact actual, the concept is the high impact mindset. And that is one, like much of what I've been talking about here, is saying, you know, I'm responsible. I hold myself accountable. If I do wrong to somebody, I gotta clean that up. It's not I'm not gonna save face. I wanna make it right. So our high impact mindset leads to, you know, improved relations with other people, which leads to more opportunities, which leads to more opportunities for me to grow, which leads to me being able to make a difference in more people's lives. It's a pretty good spiral. Sure. It's like the virtuous cycle instead of the vicious cycle, which is where you be a dick and somebody <laughs> treats you badly and you get mad and you get become a big dickier. You see, it's like there's two ways to go up or down. So meditation is uh, an essential part of my own self-care, my own self. My, and I think it's an essential part of a lot of people's lives. They just don't know they need it. Like, you know, sailors at sea didn't know they needed vitamin C or they'd get scurvy. Well, that's I mean, not not all sailors forever, but at, at other points, you know, people they discovered at some point they discovered that they would get scurvy if they didn't have vitamin C had to figure out what it was. Same thing here. People who don't have meditation, quiet reflection in some form <clears throat> are starving. It's a nourishment. So I started meditation back in 1987, Wow, 33 or four years ago, uh, in a dojo. When I first got into martial arts was uh, Shotokan Karate, or as the elitists would say, karate, which I don't say. <laughs> it sounds pretentious and like an asshole. <laughs> so I was in Shotokan Karate, and uh, <clears throat> I loved it. You know, hard strikes, hard kicks and stuff. And uh, I was introduced to meditation, kneeling, seiza. Seiza is the kneeling position in Japanese tradition. It's kneeling on the floor and closing the eyes and resting the hands and just disappearing, letting the self quiet down. I learned a lot of stuff over the 30-plus years in between. was a practicing Zen Buddhist for a few years, and that taught me a lot more ideas about it. Like for meditation, you've probably heard this and your organization has heard this, but I would definitely like to unpack this very quickly for the, 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 the listener who's eager to learn more about more about meditation Go doesn't know this idea they called it chattering monkeys <laughs> and said um <clears throat> you know the 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 buddhist says you're 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 trying to quiet your mind you want to get that rest you want to get that restoration that happens in that space of of silence of emptiness uh, but as soon as you quiet down you find your mind gets more loud 
like, oh crap, and I did I that bill, that bill I got to pay. Oh crap, I forgot to call Timmy. Oh crap, right. I blank 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 fill in yep. the blanks. Oh crap. <clears throat> well, what I those are two points I want to make on that. One is that is exactly why we have to meditate and do quiet reflection and introspection, because. Listen to me, you know, Mr. or Ms. Uh, meditator in the making. The, the fact that all those things pop up in your mind when you take a moment of quiet is proof positive that you need to have those moments of quiet because those are the things you can't hear when you're in your noisy life. Right. Those are critical things. Calling Timmy and paying that bill are critical things in your regular, mundane, normal, noisy life. But you can't hear it because it's too damn noisy. So this is essentially why we must quiet down, is let those things bubble through. Another reason for the bubble-ups of those things, which the, the, I was taught, or the chattering monkeys, sure. uh, chattering monkeys in your mind, uh, another reason is because we, we, we try to fight it. Oh, don't be quiet, don't be quiet, because if I'm quiet, I'll hear things that I want to hear about myself, from myself. Mm -hmm. That's where you get into acceptance. You know, I accept all the good things and the bad things, and good and bad even are just judgments I put on things. But I, I, things I've attached, uh, value I've attached to certain things. Um, <clears throat> I don't like that I'm balding. I don't like that I'm below six feet tall. That <laughs> pisses me off, or used to. Because my dad's six foot four. I was like, I'm definitely going to get six foot four at least. But I got, I got cheated. <laughs> so I'm like sitting there whining for the first 20 years of my life. Well, for the first 15 years, 10 years of my adulthood. Once I got, I topped out at five, right. ten and a half or whatever it is. <clears throat> I was like, this is a ripoff. I want more. But <laughs> what does that do for me? You know, what is that, 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 what is even one second of dissatisfaction at my height have to do with my quality of life? It only detracts from my quality of life. So we, the acceptance is stuff that a lot of people avoid the quietness for. I was one of them. Remember, I was a, I was a, a, a <clears throat> two-fisted drinker back in the day. Did every crime I can imagine, and many of which I don't remember because I was a blackout drinker. Mm -hmm. I was in and out of jails. I had to get uh, sobered up to, to, to keep my job. I almost got kicked out of the Navy because of a, a final drinking episode before I got sober. So <clears throat> I was drowning out the pain. I was doing all this noise, all this activity to avoid something I didn't want to hear in myself or a whole bunch of things, not, not to be all melodramatic here. Something inside of me, I didn't want to hear it. I want to, didn't want to examine myself, didn't want to face myself in the mirror quietly and in private. But I, but I do now, and I'm thrilled to do it. I love to be alone. In fact, my girlfriend is, is bummed I love to be alone so much. So, we, <laughs> you know, we got to work it out, right? Because each person is, is uniquely made. So we are. I'm Mr. Solitude. Like, I want a fortress of solitude like Superman. Uh, and, and many people want to be around other people. And that's healthy and natural. <clears throat> but there's a, there's, a, there's a too much desire to be close to people. And that's not healthy and natural. Mm -hmm. Well, it's natural, but it's not healthy. Yeah. To want to be around people all the time, all the time. To be afraid to be alone, something is wrong. And it's something, it's an opportunity for the person to examine and say, listen, why am I experiencing this? Why do I want to be around? Why do I want to be at the party all the time? What's wrong with being alone for a couple hours? And here I'm not talking about like a trauma victim who's terrified of being alone in the house because that's where she was assaulted. I'm not saying that. I mean, no, no, generally, I general psychology, general sitting and being, <clears throat> what are you trying to drown out? What are you not hearing? And so that's what our meditation creates is this, this space in which our truth can come to come bubbling up. 
And for me, it was, you know, the chattering monkeys of the bill didn't get paid, the guy that didn't get called, stuff I needed to do. But over time, you let that go um, because over time, as life becomes more manageable, you did make the bill payment and you did already call the guy before you kneel. So, so the monkeys thing, these ideas in the Buddhist mind that I was taught, <clears throat> the, the ideas are chattering monkeys and you can't, monkeys love attention. Monkeys love energy. They feed off it. Like the, like the bad guy in a science movie, you shoot him with laser beam, he gets stronger. Raw, <laughs> give me more laser beams. Raw. Monkeys love laser beams. Give me some laser beams. And laser beams mean monkey shut up. Right. The monkey's like, yeah, give it to me, baby. Get pissed. Get upset. Get really freaked out. Just give me both barrels with the laser beams. And the monkey gets big and strong like King Kong, and he'll never leave your brain. The only way to let the monkey go is to let the monkey go. You have to say, listen, dear little monkey, about the bill I forgot to pay. <laughs> I'll get to it, okay? I, I will get to it. I'm becoming more mindful. In my life, I will get to the bill I forgot to pay. Oh, that's right. I did forget to call somebody. That's cool. Thank you, monkey, for reminding me. You may go. <laughs> and the monkey's like, this place sucks, man. There's no excitement. Nobody shoot me with laser beams. And I'm fucking out of here, man. And the monkey leaves. And the, the next monkey pops up. Yeah, yeah, but what about that thing? You forgot to finish that. that, that you have a test tonight for your online course. You know what? You're right. Thank you for reminding me. You may go. And that monkey gets pissed off and goes off in a huff, too, because he's not getting any liberty, not getting any excitement, not drama. He wants the drama. So that's what my, the key to meditation is, to let those monkeys chatter, discover them, hear each one, and release it. Let it go. But don't try to force it to go. You say, you get the hell out of here. The monkey's like, oh, and now it's on like Donkey Kong. Right. Let's do this. I want to I keep you distracted from your space. I want to keep you distracted from your peace. Like and that's that, our self-protection mechanism. So my technique that I was taught and evolved over the years is very, very simple, extremely simple. It's just breathe in and breathe out. And uh, in the pauses, without clenching, you hold for half the time you breathe in or breathe out. So if I do a, a, a six-second inhalation, and I'm counting quietly in my head, one, two, three, four, five, six at a, at a, at a one-second interval, then I hold it, not clenching, just Holding it, we, we envision inhaling good, clean, golden light or energy and, and, and letting it rest in your diet, in your belly, in your lungs and holding it there, not choking, you know, not clenching my throat up to stop it, but just, just pausing in the breath and then exhaling for the same duration, six seconds after having held it for three. And then when I'm fully emptied it after six seconds or 10 or 15 or 20 seconds, whatever the, what the intervals are. Then I pause for the same amount of time, empty, and then begin the inhalation. So when I was really in my prime back in the dojo, I would do I would do one-minute breaths. Wow. I would breathe in for 20 seconds, very slowly. Picture Jean-Claude Van Damme, but without without the uh, drama, you know, without the, <laughs> on the face. It's just breathing, you know. And the more we don't do the Jean-Claude Van Damme, and the more we don't shoot the monkeys with laser beams, the easier it gets and the more peaceful and productive it gets. So I would just quietly breathe in for 20 seconds, hold it for 10 seconds, breathe out for 20 seconds, and hold it out for 20 seconds, and then repeat. So now I'm on about a 30-second 30 uh, 30 breath <clears throat> tempo because yeah. – 
So that's 10 seconds in, five seconds hold, 10 seconds out, five seconds hold. And that's because I wandered from my own path. And, you know, life gets in the way. Um, was, was married for many years, was a defense contractor for a number of years. And it works for some people. It doesn't work for me. I have to be free to make a difference. And that's why I do it. Not so people will bring me things. I don't want to get wealthy and say, hey, bring me coffee because <laughs> I'm so important. I want to say, hey, can you get the coffee today? I've got this major shit we're working on. It's so intense. It's so awesome. And we're changing lives. And people will gladly run and get coffee for all of us because they can't wait to get back to the fight and say, how are we going to change it? How are we going to kick homelessness in the balls today? That's my, <laughs> my driving force. My nonprofit focus for Impact Act will always be kicking homelessness in the balls because it hurts so many innocent people. I hate it. Is that actually the but mission statement? <laughs> For my unofficial, yeah. Homelessness in the balls. <laughs> I love it. Yep. Yeah, I hate homelessness. I, and, I, and, and of course, it's much bigger than just homelessness, but it's a word you can attach to it. Impoverishment. Right. It's a word you can attach to broken societal systems, uh, to generational welfare. You know, nobody, I'm not, I'm, again, high impact mindset, man. You confront everything. If a dude's sitting on the couch, you know, smoking cigarettes and watching cartoons and playing video games, and he's getting money from the state to do it for the past 20 years of his life, and his dad did that and taught him to do it for the 30 years of his adulthood, that's got to go. We break that broken system. If there's a family that can't pay their medical bills because the medical bills are not fairly uh, accessibly payable and therefore you're either rich or you're dying a horrible life or dying through your horrible life, that's broken. So I'm talking about taking all the angles, holding everybody accountable and saying if, if there's an actual child living under a bridge and that the child has no way to change that situation and that child may freeze to death like they're doing in Syria right now, I will be there. I will fight that fight and I will do what I can to make that right because no child deserves to live under a bridge. So true, man. Well, starting to kind of get to the end of the the episode here, Rob, um, and and last question I have for you, and then I'll turn it over to you to discuss whatever you want to talk about uh, that we haven't touched on yet. And this question, I couldn't quite find a place for it to fit in, so I just kind of stuck it in here at the end, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask it to you. On your LinkedIn, it says you acted in the world's first virtual reality film, Snake River. (laughs) What is that, man? Yeah, makes you wonder, right? That's, that's <laughs> probably pretty compelling. So here's the thing. I am a SAG-eligible actor. Like we talked about, being, doing everything in the world, I do that too. Wow. So, um, yeah, it happened by accident. My ex-wife is in, is in theater and drama and stuff like that, has been for life, loves modeling and loves, loves acting. Um, and so she and our mutual friend, her girlfriend, Deborah, is a manager for her son, who's a, an actor out of L.A., and she is in Virginia. I said, Rob, you got to check this out. You know about Russians, right? I was like, yeah. You know about terrorists, right? Yeah. So obviously, you know, I was a Russian. I am a Russian expert, technically. That's my whole first 10 years in the Navy was all about fighting Soviets. And then uh, my second 10 years in the Navy was all about fighting terrorism. So, yeah, I think I know a couple of things about terrorism and, and, uh, and, and, and Russians. And what they needed was a Russian terrorist, a Russian terrorist mastermind. So, hell yeah, I went Met, I went to the audition. I didn't even know what an audition was, but I knew how to be a Russian terrorist because as a red <laughs> teamer, I become the enemy. 
so I went there and they said, they said so what you know here's some lines I said got it <clears throat> and then I um I terrified them they told me flat out I kind of like hey man how's it going you know I'm Rob Dubois looking thanks for letting me come in here there's like a few guys uh Emmy was one of the guys he's a, Emmy was the, the director and he's he's a cool dude and goes everywhere and sees everybody um <clears throat> and uh so four or five people in there and I was like yeah this is really exciting I'm looking forward to doing this I didn't know what I was doing, right? I, I literally didn't know what an audition is. I literally didn't know what directors and casting and all that stuff was. I just knew I could be a really good terrorist, <laughs> a Russian terrorist. And so they said, and, you know, action, whatever, whatever they say. And I just switched. I went from being Rob, who sincerely, as you can hear in this interview and in thousands of other hours of recordings I've done of, of working and talking with people who I am, this is who I am. This is absolutely who I am. I'm not misrepresenting. In fact, that's my whole claim to, to, to the value of impact and the high-impact mindset and the impact actual. you got to be who you are. you got to be who you are. If you're, if you're fake, it stinks. People can smell it a mile away. You repel good people. You attract shitty people. In fact, you're being a shitty person if you're lying about who you are. And I, again, I give full credit to the fact that maybe a girl is being fake right now who's listening to this because if she doesn't, her boyfriend's going to beat her. Yeah. She's terrified of that. Right now, somebody that's listening to this is in that life. We are bad to each other. We can hurt people. But, you know, I just I want people to be aware of this and say, hey, I, I get where you're coming from. I get that right now you got to be fake. I get that right now you got to be fake with your boss and present this thing because he's a shithead and he's going to, you know, you got to be the loyalist and you really do have to take take care of your family. You got to feed people, but, but move toward authenticity as fast and as aggressively as possible. So that's what I do with the Russian thing. I just turned into a Russian terrorist and I, I, I actually menacingly threatened a guy like, you know, I don't like what you're doing. And, and, <laughs> and um, I, they know I wasn't going to hurt anybody, but they said, uh, you know, that, that's uh, I finished uh, doing some lines they give me and said, so that's it. And the guy, Emmy's like, man, you're it. You're a Russian terrorist. You scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and so I became an actor by doing that. And uh, that led to doing stuff um, for National Geographic uh, uh, TV station or TV uh, uh, network and uh, a show called um, American Genius. Uh, I, I was a Russian, a Soviet uh, rocket scientist there. And, and so I did a lot of different things. I was wow. in the, the, the AMC network has the series called Turn, Washington Spies. You'll see me in that for a couple of years as the Russian, or sorry, the British Redcoat officer, the Redcoat colonel. Um, had to shave my beard for that, hated that, but <laughs> it was fun to be a Redcoat. Fun to become somebody else. Sure. So uh, then most importantly, by far more important, I think, for everybody, for their experience, is a show called Migrations. I'd really strongly recommend you look it up. The word M-Y, Gratians, like personal pronoun or uh -huh. personal yep. the, the described, descriptive word. Migrations is where, for National Geographic back in 2015, I and 19 other people crossed the Serengeti on foot with no weapons and pretty much no food. Wow. We're emulating a, a wildebeest herd migrating across the, uh, the, the Serengeti. And it's a powerful series. Uh, six weeks, six episodes, and it shows a lot of stuff about human nature. I personally don't fare well, in my opinion. I think I turned into uh, uh, something of a dick because I was so frustrated as the weeks went by and I was trying to help people man up or step up or cowboy up. I was trying to help them find their power, and there were some individuals, not everybody by any means, there's some real heroes in that group, but a few individuals were just were becoming cowards. 
And I said, dude, if you, if you become a coward, you're, you're going to collapse. You're going to fail. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna run away from this whole thing. You're not going to experience the, the magnificence of what we're experiencing here, walking across literally unwalked territory. Because the Serengeti for 70 years has been off limits to human beings. Even the Bushmen can't go there. People who have, you know, tribal rights can't go in that across those couple hundred miles. And we were out there where animals, generations of animals, had never seen a human being. <clears throat> but, how did but, uh, uh, some people? How did quit you on come it, to quit on to be a part of that? Was that because well, of the Snake I River have a piece? Present. Uh, well, no, it was uh, for a lot of things. Primarily, they weren't looking for an actor; they were looking for a seal, an unbreakable seal. Ah. And they told me that when I when I said, "I don't know," that's, you know, because the pay was. Funny. I mean, this is back into the nuts and bolts of stuff. It was, it was, it was very low pay based on what I earned, and I thought, man, I'm not sure I can do that to my family. You know, six weeks of taking, you know, a month and a half of taking this massive cut, uh, <clears throat> and so it was basically walking away from work. You know, getting paid technically nothing. Yeah. Um, and so they said, no, no, please, please, we need you. And the director, or the the, uh, the casting guy that was in charge of it, he got right in my face and he got real honest. He said, listen, dude, I need you because we need one person in this. It was like different athletes and survival experts and animal experts. He said, we need one person that we know will never break no matter how much it hurts. And, and if, if we don't have that, the whole thing could fold two weeks in because it's like a you know house of sand. Yeah. So that's they understood that. It wasn't for my acting ability. I had some, you know, some public presence. Um, I've been doing keynote speeches. I love talking. I love speaking from stages because I can reach, you know, a thousand people, 3000 people at one time and talk about the concepts and break open their minds, unpack it for them. Nice. There you go, man. Well, awesome. Um, you know, if people wanted to reach out to you for, you know, keynote speech or, or just to get a hold of you and find out more about you than what we've covered on the show, how would they go about getting a hold of you? Super easy to reach me. Um, just Rob Dubois. R-O-B-D-U-B-O-I-S. Looks like Dubois, but I don't say Dubois. Yeah. <laughs> but Rob Dubois, R-O-B-D-U-B-O-I-S, or even easy. That's that's all my social handles, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and so on. I'm, I'm easy to find anywhere. You know, I'm all over YouTube and right and, and talks and interviews and stuff. But um, the easiest way to get me is directly on my email, which is our company is called Impact Actual. Our website is logicallyimpactactual.com, and my identity there is rob at impactactual.com. And I'd love to hear from anybody that wants, for, for any reason, if it's commercial, like you want me to come and talk for your group or come and intervene or do coaching for your, you know, do a retreat, a dedicated uh, seminar for your executive staff or whatever, or all the way over to just, hey, this is what matters to me. Because when I hear people giving me feedback on what their experience is in life, and if something, I'm, I'm saying this to the audience, if something you heard today really resounded with you let me know because that's how my value becomes greater in the planet and it's not about money life isn't about money it's about moments Uh, money is a facilitator money helps life happen the moments of life but it's not it should never be the end end goal it's like there's that's like that's like dead you might as well be dead right if you're living to get more money Christ, dude, just walk away from it. You know, just go live somewhere in, under a rock because the money will never create happiness. Right. It sounds cliche, but the reality is only giving to people adds value. I give so much of my time, energy, ideas, my concepts, and my money because holding money is useless. <laughs> but sharing with other people of whatever you have is priceless. True. 
truth. Well, Rob, this has been great, man. Thanks for so much for coming on the show. So many of your messages, I, I really think, appreciate are, it. are uh, yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, like I said, so many of your messages are so important for people to hear, and 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 I think the the piece with uh, the, your books and sharing that culture, you know, is different in different locations of the world, and being different doesn't mean being wrong. I think that's huge. Right. Something that we can learn from our youngest age. Um, so, you know, sharing, right. sharing that message about culture and the diversity that we are all living in and how important it is to appreciate that diversity uh, amongst us, it's, it's huge. So thanks so much for, for coming on the show and, and sharing that message. And I sincerely appreciate your time and your message, brother. Thank you so much. It's a real privilege to come aboard. Hey, for our listeners, thanks for listening to our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. And we, too, are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends and families and maybe give us a review. And remember, listeners, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives 